pretty galling front page error in Hawke's Bay today. Yesterday, um, it had a big headline on the front page, disingenuous in bold letters. Um, and then underneath that, it said, Māori Party MP Mecca Whaiteri accused Napier City Council of being disingenuous in delaying Māori wards. And there's a picture of Mecca Whaiteri on one side and Napier's Mayor Kirsten Wise on the other. Um, the small problem being that Mecca Whaiteri is, in fact, the Labour Party MP, not one of the two Māori Party MPs in the House at the moment. And that's kind of bad because this is a local paper and she is the local MP because she's the MP for um, Ikaroa Rafati. She has been since 2013, as she herself pointed out on Facebook, where she said all the um, all they needed to do was a wee Google um, to find that out. Um, but they shouldn't really have to Google the identity of their local MPs, I, I would have thought. And she's not all that obscure either, given that um, she made heaps of headlines when she was um, pretty much fired as a cabinet minister, the first one in this current government um, in late 2018. Well, who was responsible for the mistake? Yeah, well, in fact, when Mika Whaiteri said the reporter should have Googled it, I, you know, not the reporter's fault, I don't think, just looking at it, although I have to say I haven't investigated. The story inside the paper correctly identified Mika Whaiteri, and it also had um, Macron's On All the Māori Names, which is the paper's style now, um, or at, at NZME. But, you know, the both times on that big front page, with only a few words on it, uh, both times the word Māori appeared, it had no Macron's there. So it very much looked like it was um, an editor uh, layout artist, whatever, who was in charge that day who'd made the mistake. So, yes, I, I doubt very much it was um, the reporter's fault. And did the paper acknowledge the error? Well, it, it did, but only today. So in today's edition of Hawke's Bay Today, there's a pretty tiny one-line news on brief thing. This is on page four. And uh, I had to really hunt to find it. I went through the paper twice, actually, and d- didn't spot it um, until the second time. But it's interesting. They say uh, it's, it's got a little heading on it, Apology to Mecca Whaiteri. And it said, who was inadvertently referred to as a Māori Party MP on our Tuesday front page. I mean, you know, they put it in the passive there. You know, this this inadvertently happened to her, like not we did this. Um, I don't, don't think they really owned up to it. But the other interesting thing is on their um, editorial page, they have a little summary of Facebook feedback from their own readers, from their own Facebook page, sort of harvesting their opinions on this very issue of the Māori wards and the controversy and the criticism of Mika Whaiteri and others uh, of, the, of the local council. And um, so if they go on their own Facebook page harvesting their readers' views, you know, pretty easy on the day once they realise the mistake, as it must have been pointed out to them, um, they could have just said so there that they made an error. But, yeah, I think um, not really owning it to kind of put an apology in the passive and kind of tuck it away uh, on the side of page four. Now, the ownership of MediaWorks, former TV business, could change again. Yes. This is after news that took some people by surprise. Well, in fact, the whole media industry by surprise. So uh, a mega merger, AT&T, the telecommunications company based in the US, uh, wants to spin off. It owns Warner Media, I think formerly known as sort of Time Warner and a, a different agglomeration of that, and actually merge it with Discovery Incorporated. And it was Discovery, the global broadcaster and content maker that picked up MediaWorks TV channel, so News Hub um, 3, it already owned, I think, the Choice TV channel, which is available free to wear around the country. They'd acquired those when the former owner MediaWorks sold them in September last year. So AT&T says the plan is to yeah, spin off its own media holdings through um, Warner Media and create one big new company, which could be uh, a really big player in um, this direct-to-consumer sort of Netflix-style uh, streaming platforms for um, subscribers. 
And uh, yeah, I was reading um, Variety, uh, the you know the industry journal in the, in the US, which has this very colourful, um, famously colourful writing style. It described it as a head swivelling surprise for all the staff at Time Warner. So certainly um, caught caught them by surprise. Well, they'd have more money than previous owners, but is it definitely happening or just a proposal? Well, Discovery shareholders would have to approve it, and some of the reports I've seen, this is all way over my head and pay grade, it's very complicated in the US, but the regulators would have to give it a green light. And of course... The other players in this market, uh, Apple, YouTube, um, you know, which is obviously Google owned, uh, the lawyers involved in all this, if they think this eats their lunch or parks tanks on their lawn, could be epic if they, if they think there is some sort of regulatory or um, antitrust sort of issue or monopolistic problem. So um, it won't be done in a hurry. People are talking about six months to a year, even if it, it does all get approved. But some of the commentators are pointing out that this is a bit weird in a way, a bit of a throwback to a few years back, sort of between. 10 or 20 years ago when um, big telcos were looking to invest in content companies and did some pretty poor deals. So AT&T actually bought Time Warner for $85 billion, I think, in 2018. And some analysts say, look, that was actually um, a, pr- a pretty big, a pretty bad deal because in the end they probably won't make, it probably isn't worth that now. But if they fold it into this bigger company, it becomes you know a bigger beast Again, um, but yes, back in the day, I, th- I was wondering whether we saw little versions of this here, like do you remember Sky uh, here in New Zealand tried to merge with Vodafone, the Commerce Commission stopped it, and at that point I was thinking, is this what's going to happen? The big telcos, which are quite profitable businesses, are going to acquire broadcasters and just turn them into their sort of content division for streaming platforms they may or may not create um, in the future, or things like, um, you know, Sparks. Uh, video on demand offerings, but um, yeah, it turns out that's probably not the case. But they they need scale because they say they operate in a market with Facebook, YouTube, and all these other outfits that just put stuff online that gets people's attention. Not so much, you know, the actual business of supplying um, either broadcasting or uh, video on demand to people to subscribers for money. Well, what might it mean for News Hub and Three and the other Discovery NZ channels? That's pretty hard to say uh, because I guess they've only just acquired it. It's clearly not at the very centre of their business. Um, Although you would probably think otherwise if you were um, watching the AM show, um, which is, of course, a News Hub Discovery-owned property uh, on Channel 3 on television. And this is Duncan Garner. He talked to the very enthusiastic um, US entertainment correspondent, uh, Sam Rubin, who, if you took him literally, would you'd have you believe that the New Zealand assets are right at the heart of this? It's absolutely extraordinary, and it actually speaks to the Discovery uh, brand and the Discovery's acquisition. One major thing, Duncan, that, uh, that was mentioned in the release is the fact that Discovery has such extraordinary international reach, and that is a reference directly to News Hub and a reference to Three. So Amanda can have that second cup of coffee, and maybe she'll be in the Sex and the City reboot because you're now joining <laughs> forces with Warner Media. Yeah, so there I think Sam was actually joking. I don't think um, the New Zealand assets would have rated a mention in the statement announcing this um, $100 billion-plus merger deal. Um, but for one uh, person who was writing about this, the spin-off boss, Duncan Grieve, wrote his own sort of think piece. He was saying, look, this could actually be huge. He seemed to foresee you know, this possible kind of cascade of effects if um, 
all these brands that Discovery and HBO together owned, and, and they did create this giant cable station, and then all their broadcasters that Discovery has around the around the world in Portugal and Australia and New Zealand, you know that that a channel like Three, which you know has a, has a big footprint, a big foothold in the New Zealand market, could actually become like a a, a, a a version, an outlet for all of the stuff. So, for instance, you know, the big brand of news would be Warner Media's CNN. He was saying Tova Bryan could, Tova O'Brien could be, you know, breaking news on a program called CNN New Zealand and being the international correspondent to the world from New Zealand. And then the the, the evening schedule on three or other channels that they put out could be, you know, the the best of the high budget stuff that they're making all around the world for HBO and, and their other channels. Um, so, yeah, he thinks that this really could be something uh, and it, it, it might happen that way. But I suppose the other thing is that, look, at, they sell this stuff on. They kind of wholesale it to other broadcasters like Sky and others in this country. And they might figure, look, it's best just to carry on doing that, making money that way than trying to actually create a kind of Discovery, HBO, whatever it is, um, new mega merger channel in a, in a New Zealand branch office of that. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. A lot of fizzing at the bungholes. <laughs> yeah, That's be, how you would say it. <laughs> there, will be a, there will be a lot of that because yeah, the possibilities are endless in theory. But um, yeah, really, you, you have to wonder how much New Zealand will, will fit into their business plan. Um, but uh, look, it remains to be seen, and we might have to wait a year to see um, how much fizzing really goes on when the whole thing shakes down. <laughs> Right, uh, Gaza, international media outlets targeted in the Israeli attacks in Gaza last weekend. Yeah, um, this was really sad. So the um, Israelis basically warned um, the Al Jazeera channel and also the AP news agency. They were occupying the same tower, the Jala Tower in Gaza. And uh, this was all broadcast live on Al Jazeera. Um, one of their uh, long-standing producers, a guy called um, Safwat Al-Khalut, uh, you might have seen the footage in the news. He was on the phone pleading uh, to with the Israeli authorities, just give us 10 more minutes. They'd phoned up and said, look, we're going to take out this tower in an hour, claiming that Hamas uh, were using it and that it was a legitimate, legitimate military target. Um, so AP has some rather sad footage of their staff and the Al Jazeera people um, bugging out of the building, packing everything down, getting everything out that they could. And, you know, there's a clear tension in the air because they've been told, look, within one hour, this whole thing is coming down. And lo and behold, that all came to pass. Um, And again, live on Al Jazeera and other channels, actually, this is, I've just got a bit of a clip here of uh, the destruction of the tower actually happening live on television as um, two bombs uh, by Israeli jets hit it and the whole thing came down. That building is where Al Jazeera's offices are. There we are, another strike on that tower. And the tower has come down. That is the Al Jala Tower. That tower is where Al Jazeera's offices are warehoused. Yeah, so, I mean, it's sad stuff. It obviously works better on television, but everyone was primed for this. They knew it was going to happen, and, yeah, a very surgical strike took out the building. And Al Jazeera's been hit before. Um, their Kabul office in 2001 got wrecked by a um, missile from a U.S. plane, and then they were hit uh, their Baghdad office during the, the, the war there in 2003, and one reporter uh, got killed then as well. So there were no casualties with this one, and, of course, there have been so many throughout Gaza in the past, what, eight to ten 
days. Um, so no casualties. But um, look, you know, Israel seems prepared to um, cop the flak for this, and particularly, you know, taking out the the Gaza HQ of a US-based international agency like AP. Um, there may be no love lost with Al Jazeera as a Middle Eastern broadcaster. Um, you know, they're, they're clearly prepared to wear uh, the opprobrium that comes with that. Well, Al Jazeera and other media freedom bodies, they've said it was an attempt to shut down the reporting of what was happening in Gaza. Uh, Al Jazeera weren't the only tenants in that building, as you say, though. Have, have the media been shut down? Well, no, they're still, they're still going on. And in fact, Al Jazeera have made a real point of doing that. They had um, that uh, producer, Safat Al-Khalut, outside the rubble piled up across the road and they're reassembling their satellite gear and carrying on. He was broadcasting live himself within an hour explaining exactly what they were doing. Um, there's another outfit called Middle East Eye, based in London, who've been doing online-only journalism. They're still going. And uh, the Agence France Presse, the other, um, another big international news agency, made a point of opening up its own office to AP and Al Jazeera so that they could have actual premises to work from as well. So no, it certainly hasn't shut them down. And finally, to a review, uh, probably worth framing that it, it was so damning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, I mean, everyone likes a bit of a, um, a cutting review, don't they, when a, when a critic really lets loose and, and lets you know what they really think. And I was thinking about that when I read um, Steve Braunius had a review of um, The Apprentice, uh, Aotearoa, uh, for The Herald, where he said uh, Mike Pero, who's the sort of Donald Trump figure, and it put in a performance so wooden that you started looking at his face for signs of borer. Uh, <laughs> but that was just a passing comment. But yes, last week, so it's what we now, five, six days ago, the Otago Daily Times and its book pages, absolutely, uh, its critic Rob Kidd, um, absolutely took apart a book by the radio personality Polly Gillespie. It's called The Misadventures of Polly Gillespie. And the review was so harsh that immediately on social media, a lot of journalists and media people started sharing it and, you know, having pretty different views about whether they thought it was clever, funny or, you know, just outright mean. How did Rob put it? Well, I mean, he pretty much saw it as just a, the book was a bad idea. He didn't think Polly Gillespie had a whole lot to say, and he thought it was badly done. Things like, for example, he accused her of um, claiming she'd have all these wild relationships with um, fairly well-known people and not naming them, so like the opposite of name-dropping. He said reading these 304 pages was... Uh, the darkest period of his life. He said the writing comes across like an old drunk in a bar slur yelling about the time he was tackled by Colin Meads in a King Country Club rugby game in 1965. Um, But he also had uh, said some things that I guess reflect badly on the publisher and and whoever was was an editor with oversight of it. It's it's riddled with cliches and peppered with more brackets than Bunning's Warehouse. Um, But he also had a go at the readership, saying, for all the book's faults, uh, the women's magazine readers will no doubt swallow all of this like seagulls, he said, picking through the ripped bin bag of Polly Gillespie's brain. Oh dear. Perhaps you can take heart from the review of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte when it came out in 1847. This came from Graham's Lady magazine. How a human being could have attempted such a book as the present without committing suicide before he had finished a dozen chapters is a mystery. It is a compound of vulgar depravity and unnatural horrors. <laughs> Not a good route. And yet it went on to be a classic, so maybe there's hope yet for um, Polly's book. But I think, you know, the thing was that a lot of media people also thought that it was just too personal. So just as a, as a for instance, a sports writer, Jamie Wall, said, oh, you've got to read this and shared it out on social media. This is the best book review you'll ever read. Another sports broadcaster, um, Jason Pine, who I guess he's an NZME or formerly was um, an NZME guy. He may know Polly Gillespie through radio. I don't know if there's any connection. 
protection bit. He said, look, this is just mean-spirited, small-minded, unnecessarily nasty, and says more about the reviewer's desire for clicks and attention than it does about her. Other people wrote in saying, well, where's your book, Rob Kidd, and all that. And Rob Kidd's actually a uh, court reporter, by the way, so he probably spends a lot of time with verdicts being handed down and uh, that can be pretty unsentimental. So he um, found himself on the end of a bit of blowback because you know he had a go at her a bit personal and even made reference to, I think, some cosmetic surgery things uh, that are part of her history that didn't go too well, which people thought was a bit like um, having a go at a woman for a Appearance, you know, do the book if you want, but leave her looks out of it. Uh, so, yeah, plenty of reaction to that. So there was some criticism of the criticism. There certainly was. <laughs> what can you do if you're a critic, though? You have to be nice to everyone? Well, that's it, and people do like it. Like I said at the start, people love it when I think people like Steve Brawnier slip in a gag like that about... Um, about uh, uh, Mike Pero, so yeah, when it's when it's put out in a fairly well thought out, crafted review, um, some critics make their livelihood on this being as mean as possible. So, to some people's taste, not to others. It's a small country; you can't do it too often. That's true. That's exactly right. Um, but maybe he'll he'll ration it out. I wasn't aware of his reputation for this, but others have said, "Oh no!" From time to time, Rod Pitt and the ODT. Uh, we'll have a crack. So I guess if you know the context, you wouldn't be too surprised. But in a way, I guess he was honest. He thought it was a bad project as well as just uh, dissing the book itself and the, the whole nature of the whole idea of it. So at least he was consistent.